So our sermon text is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And if you're able to do so, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Give ear to the word of God. Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Amen. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, some of you haven't been here the whole time. We've been going through 2 Timothy for a number of of weeks and months uh, up to this point. And so far in the book of 2 Timothy, we have seen a couple themes uh, repeated a number of times throughout the letter. If you've been here the whole time, maybe you're thinking we're, we're hearing the same thing over and over again. It's not an accident. Uh, in the book, Paul emphasizes a couple things. Repeatedly, these, these two things that Paul emphasizes throughout this letter, this pastoral epistle, are kind of like two sides of a coin. They go together in many ways. Uh, in many ways, they can't help but do so. And in many ways, these are the main themes of this epistle, which is the last letter written by Paul before his execution and martyrdom in Rome under Caesar Nero. And you might be asking yourself, what are these themes? These two themes found here in our text and in the book are, are that we must faithfully bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first one. And the second one that goes with it is, if we're going to do that, we must be willing to endure suffering to do that. In many ways, I think it's, it's at the end of the day, it's often a desire to avoid suffering and persecution that leads us to compromise and silence regarding the gospel. The reason sometimes we are silent, the reason sometimes we as churches and as pastors can tend to uh, distort or change or or tweak the message in some ways to make it less offensive uh, is because we do not want to be uh, afflicted and persecuted because of it. We've seen a number of times Paul brings these two themes up explicitly in the letter, and he does so very early on. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but what? Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He acknowledges, thankfully for us, uh, that it takes the power of God to enable you to do that. Neither you or myself are able to endure suffering for the gospel on our own. We are not wired that way. Uh, None of us are naturally uh, that brave Uh, but only the power of God enables us to do such a thing and to bear witness for Christ. It's not without reason or significance. Maybe you've thought of this before, but the Greek word that's often translated as witness has become more or less transliterated into English as the word martyr. The word martyr that we use, when I say martyr, what do you think of? You probably think of, if if you know that word, you think of someone dying for the faith, someone being killed, laying down their life for the gospel. Well, that word martyr means witness. It literally means witnesses. What does that tell you? That the biblical word in the New Testament for witness has come to be known uh, in in many ways more for the result than the witness itself. It literally means, in in, in English, it means martyr. That is how closely related witness bearing uh, for Christ and sealing that testimony with one's blood has become throughout the history of the church. 
It would seem very often that comfort and safety are not always conducive to faithful witness for Christ. It's been said by someone many, many centuries ago that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And Paul doesn't say that in so many words, but in our text, what does he say? He's, he's suffering bound with chains for the gospel, but what does he add? But the word of God is not bound. Far from it. God, God uses even the martyrdom of his people, of his witnesses, to spread the gospel and to grow his church. In the verses that precede our sermon text this morning, we looked at them in the recent Sundays. Paul, what Paul was doing there, remember, Paul is, on, is in prison. He's awaiting his execution, which he did not get a stay of execution from. Uh, he was beheaded under Caesar Nero. And so he's telling Timothy in this letter, you know, come to me soon. Uh, I don't have much time. And what Paul is doing is he's urging Timothy and us as well on to faithfulness in the ministry of the gospel. And in the verses before our text, he uses three analogies to kind of do that. Uh, to, and those analogies that he uses that we've looked at in recent weeks, they emphasize, among other things, the inherent difficulties in the ministry of the gospel. He says in those verses, uh, it's much like verses three through six. It's much like serving as a good soldier. It's much like competing as an athlete in the Olympic Games. And it's much like being a hardworking farmer. And so what is that? What do those things imply for life and ministry of Christians and pastors alike? It's that faithful ministry and life and bearing witness for Christ involves self-denial. It involves enduring hardship. It involves hard work and perseverance. It involves being willing to endure suffering. So here in our text in verse 8, Paul tells Timothy something that might sound kind of strange to our ears. But he says, remember Jesus Christ. I don't know if, if you're reading the chapter and you come to that and you say, it's a strange thing for Paul to tell Timothy. I mean, Timothy's a pastor, right? How could a pastor possibly forget Jesus Christ? Why would he have to, to, to work hard to remember it? It may sound a little bit redundant. It may sound kind of unnecessary. But, you know, how could a Christian pastor, an evangelist, a missionary forget about Jesus? How can any believer in Christ forget about Jesus in any way? But... Paul's instructions here were not about forgetfulness. They were not about absent-mindedness. Paul wrote these words to Timothy in light of the persecution and suffering that he was to endure for the gospel. Look again what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not Bound. So what, what he's implying here is there is a need, there is a need for us to remember and think on Jesus Christ. There is a need to be mindful of Jesus Christ, to keep him in mind and to consider him, even in the midst, maybe especially in the midst of suffering for the gospel. The context of this entire letter is suffering for the gospel of Christ as a gospel minister, and Paul reminds Timothy and now us, about the reality of that suffering and persecution throughout this letter. Over and over again in this short four-chapter letter, Paul tells Timothy he has to be ready to endure suffering and persecution if he is to be a faithful minister of the gospel. And so how does Paul seek to strengthen Timothy and prepare him and equip him that he's ready to do just that? How do you get someone, a pastor, a Christian, whoever, how do you prepare someone to be willing and able to suffer for the gospel? 
because that doesn't come naturally to any of us. Uh, he does this by pointing him and pointing us to Christ. Here is where you and I, I think, often fail if we fail in the Christian life is it's a failure to continue to look to Christ by faith. It's not just something you do at the beginning of the Christian life. Faith in Jesus isn't just for the moment of conversion. It's for something throughout the Christian life. This is what Paul does, and we don't have time. Uh, I apologize ahead of time. We don't really have time to go through all the different ways and instances where Paul does this. But what Paul does in most things related to the Christian life and faith is he points God's people, the church as well as Timothy here in particular, points us to Christ. He does it in so many ways it's, it's hard to, to list them all. In his book uh, called Complete in Him, A Guide to Understanding and Enjoying the Gospel, Dr. Michael Barrett writes this, Far too often the missing element in Christianity is Christ. Modern Christianity, even that which is evangelical, tends to focus attention on all the accompanying circumstances of Christian living without much direct conscious reference to the Savior himself. That may sound like an overstatement, but I don't think it is. We get all caught up in different details and we leave Christ somewhere in the rearview mirror when he's the key to the whole thing, not just at the beginning of the Christian life, but throughout the need to remember Christ and think much upon his person and work, his cross and his resurrection on our behalf is no doubt why the Apostle Paul said so many things like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very first chapter of that letter, verses 23 and 24, he tells the church in Corinth, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. A few verses later, in the very next chapter, he says, First uh, Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Why? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You might think in some ways that Paul had some long, complicated, uh, programmatic thing that he presented to all the churches when he taught there. And, and in some ways he did. He taught, he taught quite a bit of doctrine, as we see in his letters. The gospel is, is in the book of Romans, thoroughly explained and applied. And we have no doubt that he taught such things in the churches as well as in his letters. But but in many ways, what did Paul do? His number one job, you know the old saying we have now, you had one job. Paul's one job that he did was not just preach doctrine in the abstract, not just preach duty in the abstract, uh, you know, to separate it from Christ. He preached Christ. When he preached the gospel, what did he preach? The person and work of Christ. When he preached the duties of the Christian life, he didn't stop preaching Christ there, did he? It's in fact how he preached our duties was by centering them in the person and work of Christ. And so what does Paul even say about, we're not having it this morning, but what does Paul say about the Lord's Supper? I read it every, every first Sunday of the month. In 1 Corinthians 11.26, he talks about observing the Lord's Supper and he says that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what do you do? 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, whether we have the Lord's Supper on once a month or every Sunday, which some do, and I wouldn't be against doing it, however often you do it, and we hope it's relatively often, what, is it, what does it say about our need to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes? How often, how regularly do you and I need to hear and be reminded of the death of Christ for our sins? Very often, it's the main thing, and we have to keep, as the saying goes, keep the main thing the main thing. The ongoing ministry of the word and even of the sacraments on the Lord's day should constantly be pointing us not just to doctrine, not just to duty, but back to Christ himself. And think about that. How great is your need and mine to be reminded of Christ and to remember Jesus Christ if that's the case? It's no, no accident, no coincidence that Romans 10:17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you want to be converted to Christ, if you want to grow in your faith as a Christian, what do you need? The word, not just the word in general, although we can call it the word of God and the word, the word of Christ is what you and I need to grow in our faith. Well, the second thing, not just the need to remember Christ Jesus, but the, the second thing is, in what way, in what way are, to, are we to remember Christ? What is the manner of remembering Christ that Paul would uh, enjoin upon Timothy and upon us what is the right manner of remembering Christ Jesus? In what way are you and I to remember him? Look again at verse 8. There Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, and then he adds, Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The very first thing that you and I should probably notice here in our text is that Paul doesn't just say that we must remember certain things about Jesus. It includes that. He, he mentions a couple things in particular he doesn't just say, remember certain things about Jesus. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ himself. You know, the King James, I think, uh, doesn't render this possibly the greatest way here in this particular verse. Uh, there they say, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. It certainly includes that. But literally what Paul says here is not just remember certain things about him. He says, remember Jesus Christ. And then he adds that he was risen from the dead and the offspring of David. In his commentary on the pastoral epistles, which is First and Second Timothy and Titus, Donald Guthrie writes the following. It's not so much the resurrection as a fact of history, important as that is, but the risen, but the risen Christ as the central factor of the Christian's ongoing experience. For Paul, the resurrection is the most prominent Christian truth containing as it does the guarantee of all other aspects of the work of Christ. Don't misunderstand what he is saying. He's not saying that the, the historical fact is not important. He's not saying you're not supposed to remember that, but he's saying it's more than that. It's not just the fact of it in history. It's the fact that we are to think of Christ himself as risen. It's not just the bare fact or the doctrine that Paul would have us to remember but beyond that, remember the person of Christ himself. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So on top of that, it's not just Christ. It's the risen Christ that you and I need to remember. We need to be mindful of the ongoing significance of his resurrection from the dead and his life, ongoing life at the right hand of God the Father that you and I as believers need to call to mind at all times, especially 
in the face of suffering for his name. You know, Paul says something very similar in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Paul writes this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice what he says about, about your life as a Christian. He doesn't just say, you know, he doesn't say things the way that we might say them. He doesn't just say, you know, your real life is later. That's implied, right? The, 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 the best life, the best thing of, of your life is going to be eternal life in heaven with the Lord. But he says at the end there, when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he comes, when he comes back, when he returns, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's all about our union with Christ as believers. If he is in glory now, we certainly will be as well. But our, our true life with him is hidden from our eyes right now. Our daily experience bears that out. The suffering that we see in our own lives all around us in the world uh, is something that reminds us of that, that this is, not, this is not our home. This is not the way it's meant to be. It's not the way that it's going to be. But it's not just the circumstances of our lives that is important. Christ himself is what we have to think of as our life. And so in many ways it's been said that right thinking on Christ is essential to right living in and for Christ. Right thinking on Christ is essential to right living in and for Christ. As Paul tells us there, it is essential for our growth and sanctification as believers. It's what he's saying in Colossians 3, Romans 6, and other places in Scripture. So Paul, Paul would have us to think on Christ, to remember him as risen from the dead. And there's something else that maybe you, as we were reading it, you were kind of curious about it, but he does mention a second thing about Christ that uh, he wants us to remember and draw our attention to. And that is not just that he's risen from the dead, but that he is the offspring of David as well. Those two things are the things he would highlight for us. First and foremost, we are to remember Jesus Christ as risen from the dead. Now, why does Paul, have you thought about this? Why does Paul bring that up here? Why does Paul mention that Christ is risen from the dead? That particular language in the context of, of trying to encourage Timothy to be willing and ready and able to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Again, you have to think about the context of what Paul is writing here and where he is as he writes it. Paul himself was about to be martyred for the gospel, which Timothy was well aware of. And he also writes this because Timothy makes it, you know, Timothy is being told to follow in Paul's footsteps. And if Paul was going to be killed, executed, martyred for the faith, what was, what was possibly in Timothy's future as well? The same thing. Paul's not saying, hey, this is, a, this is a, a, an apostle thing. You know, this is something that all of us apostles have to do. Everybody after us, you get a free pass. You're good to go. Don't worry about it. No, he's telling him in no uncertain terms. He's, he's preparing him that what I'm going through, you might go through as well. There's a reason earlier in the chapter that Paul tells Timothy to to teach these doctrines to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, I'm passing the baton. You better get ready too. You better pass the baton off and be ready to do so as well. 
But why, so why does Paul bring up the fact that Christ is risen? Think about this. What else can make a person willing to die for the gospel other than looking to Christ? And what else can do so? Not just looking to Christ and his death for our sins, reconciling us to God, but also looking to his glorious resurrection from the dead. I think that's what he's getting at here. It's what he's implying. It's only the sure knowledge of Christ's resurrection, being mindful of Christ's resurrection and the sure hope of our glorious resurrection in him that can spur us on to faithfulness to Christ, even in the face of suffering and death. Why was Paul able to keep on serving and ministering, even in chains, knowing his time was near? Why was he able to keep on serving and witnessing and bearing witness for the gospel of Christ? Because he knew he served the living Christ. He knew he served the risen and reigning Christ, and that his death would not be the end. He knew that if Christ was raised, so would he be. If Christ was in glory, so would he be. And that glory makes those chains and even makes the executioner's acts look like nothing in Paul's sight. Paul tells us elsewhere about the resurrection of Christ and how important it is in the Christian faith and life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4, he tells the church there, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, what, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the resurrection of Christ is of first importance. There is no Christianity without it. If Christ is not raised, we should all still be in bed. There's no reason to be here. Without Christ's resurrection, we are wasting time, and we are worse than that. We are all still in our sins, Paul says, and our faith is in vain. There's no point in preaching the gospel of a dead Christ. If he is not risen, we are all wasting our time. Well, what else does Paul want Timothy to remember about Christ? He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And then he adds, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Why does he bring up that Christ is the offspring of David? Now, this, this has a few things to, to refer to. One, it refers to the fact of his humanity, that he really is truly God and truly man. It certainly implies and is a reference to his messiahship, that he is really the son of David, the coming king who was promised all throughout the Old Testament, the one who was to be the Messiah, the Savior, and the Lord. I think all of that is important, but I don't think that's all of it. I think Paul is emphasizing that Jesus is the, the offspring of David because he's reminding Timothy and us that our faithful and risen Savior Christ, he's not just risen, but he is reigning. Not past tense. He doesn't say he was the offspring of David. He says he is the offspring of David according to his humanity. In other words, he really is God's anointed king. And after his resurrection, what happened to him? Where did he go? He was raised up and ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Bible in Revelation 1.5 calls him the ruler, present tense, he is the ruler of kings on earth. Not just in the future, not just when he comes back, not just when he returns to judge the living and the dead. He's the ruler of kings on earth now. That's the point. You know, one of those kings on earth was the one that was having Paul beheaded. And yet Paul knew he served the risen, ascended, and reigning Christ, and so he kept on trucking. 
He kept on doing what Christ had called him to do. Jesus is even now alive and well at the right hand of God the Father. He's reigning over all things for the sake of his church. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation tells us that twice, as Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection, when he gave them the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, what did he say? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of it. He is the king of all creation now, both visible and invisible. He is then able to make all things work together for our good, even for our salvation, as Paul says in Romans 8, 20. What could be more needful in the midst of suffering than that, than the knowledge of the glorified and reigning Christ? That's why Paul could confidently say in verse 9, that even though he was bound with chains as a common criminal, what does he add there? Nevertheless, the word is not bound. God's word was not bound. Why? Because Christ was risen and reigning. And he still is. That's why Paul could also say, even while in chains awaiting his execution, that he was willing to what? Verse 10, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Those whom God has chosen and set his love upon from before the foundation of the world, who will, they will believe in the gospel and they will obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why? Because Christ lives and reigns. That's why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If not for the risen and reigning Christ, we would have no such hope, we would have no such assurance, but because he lives and reigns, you and I can, can endure all things for the sake of the elect, knowing that nothing can stop God's good purposes for them, for us, and for his church. Not only that, but we can know that after carrying our cross and following him, what follows after that? The crown of glory. Suffering is followed by glory. Romans 8.20, or excuse me, Romans 8.18, Paul says this. And think about the things that Paul suffered. Now, sometimes it, it, you know, they say consider the source. Consider the source here. Paul, who knew a bit about suffering for the gospel, says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's one thing if I say that. I haven't, I haven't suffered much of anything. Paul, I mean, read the book of Acts. Paul was like the Terminator. You know, he's beheaded, or not beheaded, he was stoned, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, all these things. You know, just, it would make a heck of a movie, wouldn't it? And then at the end, he gets martyred. And he, what does he say? I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't just say, you know, don't worry about it, God's going to even it out. That's not what he says at all. If I'm, if I'm a scale, forgive my illustration. You know, it, he doesn't say, here's my suffering, bam, and, and Jesus is going to make it right. He says it's not even worth comparing the two. There is no comparison. In other words, one day when you and I are in heaven in glory with Christ, we won't be looking back on whatever it is that you and I suffered for the sake of Christ in this life. We won't be thinking about that at all. We won't be saying, well, yeah, it worked out in the end. We'll be saying, wow. That was nothing. That was nothing, is what we'll say, if we're even remembering it at all. Paul knew what it meant to suffer for the name of Christ. 
And despite all of that, he knew that because Christ lives and reigns in glory, one day he too would reign with him and by God's grace share in his glory. That's why he tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And he goes on in verses 11 to 12. If I can look ahead a little bit, he says, if we have died with him, with who? With Christ. We will, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That's what he's telling Timothy to encourage him to persevere in faithfulness to the gospel. How can we endure anything like that for the sake of Christ? Only by being strong in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Only by remembering that our faithful Savior lives and reigns in glory. And because he lives, we too shall live. Because he reigns, you and I who believe will also reign with him. The risen and reigning Christ is the only explanation for the Apostle Paul. He met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. I encourage you to read that chapter on your own. And when he met Christ, everything changed. He went from killing Christians and dragging them off to their deaths to being a willing martyr for the sake of the name of Christ. Why? Because he knew Christ, he knew Christ and he knew Christ lived. He knew Christ was living and reigning even then. The risen and reigning Christ is the only explanation for believers and preachers of the gospel uh, throughout history being faithful unto death and bearing witness for the risen Christ and his gospel. Uh, think about these words from J. Gresham Machen. Uh, he says, What was it that within a few days transformed a band of mourners into the spiritual conquerors of the world? Remember the disciples were said to turn the world upside down? A bunch of fishermen turned the world upside down. How? The gospel. What was it that within a few days transformed a band of mourners into the spiritual conquerors of the world? It was not the memory of Jesus' life it was not the inspiration which came from past contact with him, but it was the message, he is risen. The message of the risen Christ is also not just for Easter. You know, one of the things that we do here is, uh, in some small way, we, we kind of observe the liturgical calendar, at least in miniature. You know, we, we, don't, uh, we don't issue Christmas or Easter. We even have, uh, we, we look at Pentecost Sunday and things like that. Uh, Dr. Dr. Barrett puts it this way. He says, considering the actual person and work of Christ is something that we limit, we often limit, to designated dates on the calendar, the incarnation at Christmas, the resurrection at Easter. Such anniversary celebrations alone will not do much to help us maintain and enjoy the personal relationship with Christ that is indeed the distinctive feature of genuine Christianity. In other words, we observe those dates but we better do more than that. If the only time you hear of the resurrection of Christ is on Easter Sunday, something is drastically wrong. If the only time you hear of the death of Christ is on Good Friday, there's something drastically wrong. If there's the only time you ever hear about Christ's incarnation is at Christmas time, there's something wrong. If you're preaching Christ and him crucified, all those things should be brought up again and again. And if we're only doing that a few times a year, uh, that will not do to help us to remember Christ as we should, risen from the dead. So this morning I'll ask, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he to you not just a Savior, not just the Savior? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is he your Savior and Lord? If not, look to him by faith and be saved.
And if you are a believer in Christ this morning, if you've maybe known the Lord for years and years, make it your aim starting today, if you haven't already, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ your Savior and Lord. Learn to remember Christ and look to him for all things, even for the sure hope of glory in the midst of trial and affliction in this life. Amen.